You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. We're beginning a series of messages today that we're going to continue all the way through the meeting from the same book of the Bible. And if you were here earlier, you know what book I'm going to. If not, I better give you some time to find it. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Zechariah, would you please? If you go to the end of the Old Testament and then just turn back a few pages, you'll be in the book of Zechariah. And we're turning our attention to Zechariah chapter 3. In the Bible study hour, we looked at the opening chapter, the opening verses, getting ready to meet God, getting ready to hear from God. And now we come to Zechariah 3 where the Lord begins to really speak and show Zechariah some things. And I just want to breathe a prayer right now as I read this scripture. Dear Lord, speak to me. Dear God, show me yourself. Look at Zechariah chapter 3. Still here a few pages turning. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, Zechariah. Does that help you? Zechariah 3, look at verse 1. And he showed me. Would you pause there just a moment? You know, years ago, I was preaching in Florida for a man, older man, older than me at least. It's, age is a relative thing, isn't it? But a mature man, and we're driving down the road just talking about God and the work of God and all of that. And my friend said to me, he said, we were, I was asking some questions, and he was really giving me good counsel. And my friend said to me, he said, Scott, at this stage in your journey with the Lord, you don't need to learn more. You need to see more. I can't explain it to you, but it was one of those moments where it was like the Holy Spirit just, boom, hit me with something that I needed to hear. I've thought of that so many times that I'm convinced lots of people go to church all their life and they learn more, learn more, learn more, learn more, learn more. So they got facts and knowledge and data and information they got a they got a head full and a page full of thoughts but I wonder how much we've really seen I think one of the saddest things that happens is people come to church and they they hear lots of good things but they don't see it they 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 acknowledge it they give mental assent to it but they don't really get a glimpse of who God is and I just want to say this morning, we need God to take the blinders off this week. Lord, show us us. And Lord, show us you. And Lord, show us everything you have for us. That's what's happening here. God takes the prophet Zechariah by the hand and says, Come on, come on, go with me. I'm going to show you something. Look at verse 1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. That's amazing, isn't it? This is not the same Joshua that you find the book of Joshua. That was a, a famous name. In fact, it's the same name as Jesus in the New Testament. It's a reminder of the Lord being our, our Savior, our salvation. So this was a fairly common name. But this was not a common man because this particular Joshua was the high priest of Israel. Interestingly enough, the first Joshua we know about in the Old Testament led Israel into God's promise, led Israel into God's presence. Remember that after the 40-year wanderings? This Joshua, the high priest, is called on to lead them back into the presence of God after the seven year captivity so they have been out of the land they've been away from Jerusalem they've been in bondage 
And blessed be the God of all grace. The Lord's brought them home. Aren't you glad God brings us back again and again and again? And when they got there, the first priority was, we got to get in the presence of God. Look, friends, this is our great priority. We don't just need to be with a preacher. We don't just need to be with each other. We've got to get with God, into the presence of God. And so the high priest, it was his role to lead them into God's presence. He, he stood for the people before God, and he stood for God before the people. And so here he is standing in the high and holy place. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground here. He is literally in the holiest of all, and the angel of the Lord is standing before him. How many of you think you'd like to be there? I got one better than that. The Lord has brought his presence to us. And you don't have to go through a man now. No, no, we go through the God man, who's the Lord Jesus. He is our great high priest, passed into the heavens. That's what the Bible says. He is in the literal holiest of all. At this moment, our great high priest is standing for us at the right hand of the heavenly Father. He entered into heaven, and he left the door open behind him. He made a way so that we could come with him into the presence of God. But don't miss this. It's at the high and holy moments where Satan is always trying to stop what it is God is doing. Because verse 1 does not end with the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. I, I wish it did. Wouldn't it be nice if there was a period right there? And we could all just sit around and talk about how great it is to be in the presence of the Lord. Remember, everything God ordains, Satan opposes. God made trees and birds and animals and water and all of that, and the devil didn't do a single thing that we know of. And the second, the minute that he made Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, the devil went to work. Do you know why that is? Because God stamped his own image on man and made it so that we could fellowship with God. And the devil doesn't hate you. The devil hates your God. Excuse me, you and I are not that important. But I'm going to tell you why the devil's after us, because you are that important to God. And that old serpent knew that by striking at Eve, he could strike at the creator God. And the devil knows if he can get you and get your kids and get your family and get this church, he can hurt the heart of the God who loved you so much he gave his son for you. I say again, everything God ordains, Satan opposes. And so we come to the next part of the verse, and Satan. Mm. Did you know the devil shows up at holy moments? Sure he does. Look at me, please. The devil goes to church. You say, is he here? I don't know if he is, but some of his minions no doubt are. Oh, yeah, the enemy. Everywhere God is advancing, he's there to push back. Every time, look, if God's working in this church, and I believe he is, if God's working in this church, just know this, as surely as God is working, Satan is fighting. He hates the work of God. So look at it. Satan is standing at his right hand to resist him. I like verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Did you know the devil does tell the truth? He does tell the truth. He doesn't tell the whole truth. He doesn't tell nothing but the truth. But he tells the truth. Sure he does. The devil comes along 
and points his finger at every one of us and says, you know what you are? You're just a sinner. You don't deserve the mercy of God. You're not worthy of God's grace. You're nothing. That's what you are. Did you know all that's the truth? The question is not who are you. The question is who is your God? I love this because the devil is pointing at Joshua the high priest and in a larger context, he's pointing at Jerusalem, this city, that now sits in smoldering ashes, that now sits in the ruins of what used to be. He points at all of them and he says, they are not worthy of the grace of God. They, they are not worthy of any good thing. I want to say, welcome to the club. Get in line, take a number. Because we're all just black-hearted, hell-deserving sinners in desperate need of the mercy of God. And I love this. Aren't you glad God speaks up? I love it when God butts into the conversation. So the devil is just wearing out Joshua the high priest, resisting everything that he's praying for, resisting everything God is trying to do in the presence of the angel of the Lord, and the Lord speaks up. Notice, not the angel. No doubt the angel's been speaking to Joshua the high priest, but at this moment, God speaks to the devil. For the record, you can't outwit, outreason, outthink, or outtalk the devil. Don't even try. I got good news. You don't have to because the Lord speaks up for you. And notice what the Lord says. Would you underline the last phrase of verse number two? Is not this, here it is, a brand plucked out of the fire. <laughs> fire in Scripture is a picture of judgment. Oh, what's a brand? I, I, love, I love a fire. I really do. I'm not one of these pyromaniacs that wants to start them all the time. But I do love a fire. How many of you have a fireplace? Would you raise your hand? You have a fireplace? How many of you have an old-fashioned fireplace, like you actually burn wood in it? You know what I mean. Uh, we, we have gas logs at the house, and it's nice. It, it looks nice. It's not quite the same. But I go to Mom and Dad's house, and I love it. We bring wood in, and we throw another log on the fire. There's just something about the crackle of the, of the wood and watching the beauty and feeling the warmth of the fire. But, but after a while, the fire consumes all that is there, and the only thing that's left are brands. If you will, little smoldering embers, little, little pieces of the wood that have been tossed into the fire that frankly have been so consumed and so marred, you're never going to take that wood and build anything with it. There's nothing constructive. There's, there's nothing that it can contribute now. It's just ash and ruin. It's nigh to be completely consumed, and all you have left is the refuse. That's all it is. I love this. Jesus gives an object lesson. You know, he's the master teacher. You know that, right? He gives an object lesson. He says, let me tell you what this man is. Let me tell you what this city is. Let me tell you what God's people are. They're just brands almost consumed by their sin and headed to the fire of hell for all eternity. But I love this. They're not just brands. They are brands that are plucked out of the fire. What a statement of the mercy and grace of Almighty God. I'm thinking now Jesus used to that word pluck. Remember, he said, no man can pluck them out of my hand. Look, you've been plucked out of the fire and into the hand of a gracious God. What a great Savior we have. This was John Wesley's favorite verse. The old preacher, John Wesley, it was his favorite verse. And they said that in his house, he kept a, a painting of a fireplace with a fire burning in the old rectory. And beneath the painting, in his own words, not some beautiful plaque, in his own words, he had written by hand these words, is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? John Fletcher, that great old man of prayer, said that this was the phrase that brought him to salvation. Thomas Oliver, greatly used of God, said that he got saved one day when the old great awakening preacher George Whitfield preached from this very text. Stephen Grillet, used of the Lord, said this was the verse that brought him to Jesus. 
This is the favorite verse of the missionary to India, Henry Martin. You know the name Henry Martin? He died before he was 32 years of age. This was his favorite Bible verse. In the whole Bible, Zechariah, think about that. This was his verse. He said, that's what I am, just a brand plucked out of the fire. When he died, they found his journal, and in his journal he had written these words, I want to burn out for God. I love this. He had been delivered from one fire, and God had put another fire in his soul. The God who is a consuming fire had delivered him from the fire of judgment because of grace and mercy. I'm testifying. I'm not preaching now. I'm testifying. This is my verse. This is my story. If you're saved, this is your story. If you're not saved, it can be your story. Look, we're all just a bunch of brands plucked out of the fire by the nail-pierced hand of Jesus Christ. I've done this in my Bible. Maybe you want to do it. Next to the verse, I signed my name. Don't you love to see yourself in Scripture? I'm in there. It's not just a lens on, on Joshua the high priest or Jerusalem and, and Israel. No, no, this is a mirror on me. I'm a brand plucked out of the fire. I've written my name, Scott Pauley, right there in the margin of the Bible. Why? Because this, this is my story. Let me give you three simple thoughts. And, and for the record, when I finish preaching very shortly, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to do something, everybody. And if you say, well, I'm sneaking out before then, don't you do that. And if you say, well, I don't know about that preacher, I'm sorry to tell you this, but when you get in the presence of a holy God, you can't be neutral. Sorry. You'll have to pick one. So look at verse number one. He showed me, first of all, Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. So the first thing we see here is ourselves approaching a holy God. See, Joshua the high priest was representative of the whole nation. And so let's make that application to us. Look, please. He is, he is representing the fact that sinful men have been granted access to a holy God. The high priest didn't strut his way into the holy of holies. Men don't prance their way into the presence of a holy God and present themselves like, God, you're really lucky. You got me. Do you understand? They come on the merit of another and I want to say to you this morning that every one of us, I don't care if you're religious or non-religious, I don't care if you're young or old, I don't care if you've been in this church your whole life or you're just coming to this church, I want you to know today we all are the same, we all are sinners, we all need God, and if you approach a holy God, you approach him the same way, humbly. In fact, look at the verse. The Bible says that this high priest was standing before the angel of the Lord. Do you know what it is to stand? It is to stand at attention. It is to stand in reverence. We stand in the, in the presence of, of people that we have respect for. I was taught as a boy uh, that when a, when, a, when a lady walks into a room, you stand up. We could use some more of that conversation today. Uh, when, when an elder comes and greets you, you, you stand up and you greet them. What are you doing? You're, you're showing regard. You're showing respect. Well, if we do that for men, don't you think much more we ought to do that for Almighty God? In the Bible, you don't, I'm sorry, but you don't see people in the presence of a holy God all lounging around just casual. You can't be casual before the thrice holy God. The posture in Scripture reveals the position of the heart. In Scripture, you see people either on their faces or on their feet. They're either on their knees in the presence of a holy God or they're on their feet in the presence of royalty. I tell you, he is the holy God. He is the king of kings. And when we approach him, we must approach him that way. 
The Bible says, look at it, please, that he was standing before the angel of the Lord. Before the angel? You know what's interesting? We know nothing really about this angel. That's all right, because it's not about the angel in our really superstitious spiritual kind of world where people want to talk about things but don't want to talk about God. Everybody's happy to talk about angels and, and as Paul said, intrude into those things they don't really know about. Can I just remind you that angels are nothing. The God of the angels is everything. In fact, look at the verse. What's he called? He is the Lord of hosts. Look, please, the Lord of what host? The Lord of the angelic host. All through Zechariah, he uses this term for Jehovah God. He's the God who gives the angels their commands. Don't be taken with men. Don't be enamored with the peripheral things. Get to God. Approach to a holy God. Listen to what God has to say. In fact, the word angel here literally means messenger. Do you remember in the New Testament when he wrote to the seven churches in Revelation, he said that their pastors were the angels of the church. (laughs) This is an angel sitting right here. Did you know this is an angel? Let's ask the preacher's wife, is he really an angel? He's not, not always an angel, is he? Come on now, tell the truth. But angel doesn't mean perfect. Angel, look please, angel means messenger. May I just tell you, I'm not really the, the main event this week at all. I'm just... The messenger boy, that's all I am. And Zechariah said, we got to look beyond the angel to the God of the angel. we got to look beyond the messenger to the one who sent the message. we we got to look beyond the one who's just the delivery boy to the one who is the sender of it all. We must approach to a holy God reverently. There's a second, second thing I want you to see. Notice, please, not only that we see our approach to a holy God, but secondly, we see the accuser. Isn't that interesting? As soon as we seek the Lord, the devil pokes his ugly head up. Have you ever found you can do anything and be all right, but the minute you open your Bible and start reading the Bible, you think of 10 things you forgot to do? Let's take a survey. How many of you have discovered that you can, you can do anything, you can talk to anybody, but the second you start talking to God in prayer, suddenly your mind starts wandering, and sometimes even the most awful things come to your mind? How many of you have had that happen? Would you raise your hand, please? Good. makes me feel better about myself. I appreciate it. May I tell you what that is? It's spiritual opposition. Wherever there is spiritual progress and God is moving and we are seeking the Lord, the devil is pushing back against that. Don't be surprised. Look, this, is, this has always been the case. Let me prove it to you. Hold your place here. We're coming right back. Let's take a little trip just for a second. Go way back in your Old Testament to the book of First Chronicles for just a minute. And I promise you that's in your Bible too, all right? Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 21. It's the story of David. You know David, man after God's own heart, man of devotion, man of passion for the Lord, sweet psalmist of Israel. Hmm. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man, right? Let him think of his standard, take heed lest he fall. So look at 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1. And, by the way, the and, the little conjunction, connects to the previous chapter. In the previous chapter, they just had a tremendous victory, and they were experiencing God's blessing. And Satan stood up. Remember Zechariah? Standing. Satan stood up in your face, stood up against Israel. How did he do it? He provoked David to number Israel. See, Satan always stands up when God is doing his greatest work, but Satan is never just standing against one person. Satan is standing against the whole work of God. Do you understand the devil's looking for a place to get in this church? You better believe he is. I'm in different churches every week of my life. 
I've been in two or three different regions in the last week and different churches, great churches, but I've watched and I'm observing and you come into a church like this where God is at work and people are responding and the Lord is blessing. I I just want to remind you of something, church. It doesn't take much room for a snake to slither into the garden. He's an old serpent. He's looking for a place. He's looking for a place into your family. He doesn't deserve any place, but he'll take any place you give him. And once he gets that place, he'll want a bigger place. That's why Paul said, neither give place to the devil because every time God is blessing and there is victory, look please, the victory does not mean there is no more battle. And so at this moment, the greatest battle was not being fought in public where everybody could see. The greatest battle was being fought in private. Some of you right now, you're in the battle for your life. You're in the battle for a marriage, a battle for children, a battle for with sin in your own life, a battle for your future. Some of you don't even recognize it yet. Nobody knows about it, but God knows about it because in the secret place, Satan is tempting you in some way. I want to remind you of something. It's bigger than David. It's Israel, and it's bigger than you. It is the glory of God at stake in this world. Neither give place to the devil. On our way back, stop off in Daniel just a minute, would you please? Look at Daniel chapter 10. Now, here's a holy man, we would say, a man of prayer, See, people think men of prayer and men of God don't have this struggle. I would say the struggle intensifies. Look at Daniel chapter 10, verse number 10. He's on his hands and knees in prayer. That seems like the right posture, doesn't it? And he's seeking God. But look what he says in verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. Think of this, 21 days Daniel's praying for something, and for 21 days, he doesn't see the answer and the breakthrough because in that time, Satan is trying to stop it. See, I'm not trying to be spooky or mystical this morning, but I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God, there is a real world you can't see right now. It is just as real as the world you live in, and at this moment, there is spiritual conflict going on. Some of what you're seeing on the news is simply the outworkings of spiritual warfare that is already going on in other places. By the way, you know what we need? We need some men like Daniel who stay on the hands and knees in prayer, who stay in the prayer closet until they see the answer to prayer. The accuser, he's going to do everything he can to stop it. Go to Malachi just a minute. Just a page past where we are, really. Look at Malachi chapter 3. This is the classic passage on tithing. Some said, oh, no, he's going to talk about money. No. No, I'm going to show you something. Same principle. Look at Malachi 3 verse 10. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. How many of you think that sounds pretty nice? Yes? So we obey God, and God just opens heaven's windows and tells the angels, start dumping it out on them. And the the blessings of heaven are poured out on life. We say, oh, I want to live in that verse. Well, look at the next verse, verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Why would he have to rebuke the devourer? Would you like to know? Because the second the blessing starts to come, Satan wants to devour it. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may, what? Devour. He'd like this church to be gone. Or he'd be content with you all still being here but not having the presence and power of God. He wants to devour every good thing in your family and leave nothing but the refuse. I'm telling you, Satan hates what God is doing in your life. Let me show you one more. Go to Jude. That's the end of the New Testament. Go to the book of Jude. 
Look at Jude verse number 9. That's an Old Testament story, but it's a New Testament reference. Somebody said, how long is this battle going to go on, preacher? Well, let me give you the Bible answer. Look at Jude verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, <laughs> when contending with the devil, remember we talk about contending for the faith. Well, you're really fighting against the devil. It's not people. Contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You see the same word here? It's not I rebuke it, the Lord rebuke you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Look, it's not your strength, power, and wisdom. It is our God that is greater. But don't miss this. Would you like to know how long the devil fought Moses? All the way to death. In fact, he's arguing with the archangel over his body. You remember Moses went up on the mountain? I was just there a few weeks ago. Looked across to where Nebo is. I've been up on Nebo. It's fascinating to stand Pisgah in that region, somewhere in those mountains. God let him look over in the promised land. Everybody remember that? And he wouldn't let him go in, but he let him look over and see it. And then he died there, and God buried him. The Bible says nobody knows where he's buried. Imagine God attending the funeral, and God alone knows where he's buried. Now, the Greek Orthodox, they know right where he's buried. They charge you about $10 a head to see it, but other than them, nobody else knows where he's buried. That's the, that's the story. He said, up on that mountain, there was a little argument going on. What was Satan arguing over? He wanted the body of Moses. I think he wanted to set up his idol or desecrate it in some way. I have no idea what he was doing. I know this. It wasn't about Moses. It was about God. Look, please, Moses was already dead and, and gone to be with God in spirit. He wanted that body because he wanted to use it against God in some way. Do you understand the devil wants to use every good thing God has given you against God's purpose in your life? He's the adversary. Go back to Zechariah quickly. Look at, look at what the Bible says in Zechariah chapter number 3 again. It uses this name for him, Satan. He is Satan. And again, in verse number 2, Satan. Why? Would you write this down somewhere? The word, the name Satan means adversary. He's the adversary. You know what one of Satan's ploys is? He makes us think that some person across from us is the adversary. It turns people against one another. I mean, honestly, we start looking at people in the world and we start thinking they're the enemy. I just want to remind you, they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Now, he might be using them. He might be speaking through them. But they're not the enemy. Satan is the real enemy. And, and here's the interesting thing. He's really not your enemy. He's your accuser, but he's God's enemy. Somebody says, oh, the devil's after me. No, the devil is after God's glory. Somebody said, well, the devil's really fighting me. Look, please, the devil is fighting God, and you're caught in the crossfire. And one of the ways he does it, the book of Revelation says he's the accuser of the brethren. Look, from the Garden of Eden forward, you know what he does? He accuses you to God, and he accuses God to you. He accuses you to somebody else and somebody else to you. He's always trying to sow discord and, and dissension and division everywhere that he possibly can. Do you know what he's up to? He's trying to rob glory from Almighty God. And so we see our approach to God. We see the accuser coming against us because he's against God. But there's a third thing, and this is the whole thing. Look at Zechariah chapter 3 and verse number 2. The Lord said unto Satan. Would you see, please, our advocate? Is the accuser real? Oh, yes, but the advocate is greater than the accuser. 
Uh, do we have a prosecutor that puts his bony finger in our face and reminds us what worthless people we are? Oh, yes, very frequently. But aren't you glad that at that moment our defense attorney stands up? I'm glad. I'm really glad for this. I know the judge and the defense attorney. The judge is my heavenly father, and the defense attorney is my savior. That's pretty good, don't you think? And so when the devil comes and starts pointing his finger, watch this, the defense attorney stands up and holds up a nail-pierced hand. In fact, everybody look at the verse. Notice where, notice where Satan is standing. Verse number one, he's standing at his right hand to resist him. What's the right hand? That's where the prosecutor stands. That's where the accuser stands. Can I ask you a question, church? When you come to the New Testament, where is Jesus Christ at this moment? He is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Hey, he is in the place of access and the place of authority, the place of the advocate. Jesus is there praying for us today. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What is he doing? He's making intercession for the transgressors. It is not on your own that you come to God. It is not on your own that you stay near to God. It is not on your own that you get answers to prayer from God. It is not on your own that you access heaven's resources. It is because of our great advocate. And I love the fact that way back yonder before Bethlehem, we're brought to Christ. Zechariah got a little picture of the mediator that was yet to come. May I ask you a question, church? I want you to look at the passage. Everybody put your eyes on the passage. Would you please tell me what Joshua the high priest said? Now look at it carefully. Look at the two verses we read. In fact, you can, you can read on just a little bit the verses that follow. We'll come back to that this evening and talk more about when Joshua met Jesus. But just look at it. Just peruse it for a minute. Would somebody tell me, please, what was it that Joshua said? Would you like to know the answer? He said nothing because the Lord spoke for him. I'm sorry, sir, ma'am. You don't speak for yourself. You have nothing to say. There's no good in me. There's, there's nothing in me that I can hold up and say to God, well, this is, this is the worthy part of my life. There's nothing to say. We're sinners. We're needy. We're desperate. Oh, I love this. But when the silence of sin and the, and the sadness of that silence washes over us and there's nothing to say and there's, there's no way of escape and there's no victory over the accuser, at that moment, Jesus Christ stands up and speaks for every one of us. I tell you, on the cross, he spoke for you, young lady. He spoke for you on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And now, young man, he speaks for you at this moment at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. Jesus speaks for us. You know what we need? We need a spiritual reset button this week. That's what we need. The name Zechariah is a fascinating name. Do you know what it means? It means the Lord remembers. Well, confess my own sin. Let me not confess yours. I'll confess mine. Can I tell you one of the besetting sins of my life? One of the besetting sins, and I got a lot of them, but I'm going to tell you one of the root besetting sins of my life, forgetfulness. Just forgetfulness. Spurgeon said, by some strange perversity, we tend to forget what we should remember and remember what we should forget. And I am so prone to forget how good God has been to me. So prone to forget how awful sin is, how miserable I was last time I was out of fellowship with God. 
so prone to forget what God did in my heart and the holy vow I made to the Lord. So, so prone to forget all of this. God never forgets anything. God remembers everything perfectly. Aren't you glad God remembers you and doesn't forget you? But I'm going to tell you what we need. We must remember Him. We must remember that we are sinners, that we approach a holy God only through our high priest. We must remember that Satan is not a friend. He's a foe. He's the adversary and the accuser. He's fighting against what God is up to in this world and in our lives. And we must remember that it is only because of Christ that we have any victory at all. No, we must remember that we are just brands plucked out of the fire. See, that's where revival really starts. I think Zechariah 3 is one of the great revival texts of the Bible because here's what it does. It takes you back to first principles. It takes you back to who we really are and who he really is. It takes you back to the beginning. And don't you think that's where we all need to start right now to remember that he is the one who has plucked these little brands out of the fire. I say, bless the name of Jesus Christ. Her name was Charity Smith. She was the daughter of a preacher in Ireland in the late 1800s. She was a poet. She wrote a, a beautiful poem that, frankly, when she, first, when she first wrote it, was not well received. Few people thought much of it. And for over a century, it would just kind of exist. Interestingly enough, I think the first time I ever heard it sung, I was in college. And since that time, in many, many churches across the country, I've heard it sung. She didn't write the music. She only wrote the words. It's become a, a famous song now. It goes by the title now, Before the Throne of God Above. I don't know if you've ever heard it before or not. That was not what she titled it. I'll tell you what she titled it in just a moment. But would you permit me just to read Charity's words? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while with God he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Charity titled that poem, The Advocate. And I came to tell you this morning, you can't approach God on your own. And the accuser, the adversary is going to do everything he can to put a roadblock between you and your God. But look, please, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he loves to pluck brains. 
out of the fire. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.